Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, August 2nd, 2020, we continue our series titled, The Parables. Today's sermon, Found Faithful, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Enjoy. Today we're going to be talking about the parable of the ten uh, virgins. And it's going to come to us in Matthew 25. If you want to put a finger on it now, that'd be great. But first I want to start to talk about why I titled this Found Faithful. This is ultimately our ultimate goal, to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. But today's message is going to challenge us with timing. It's going to challenge us with the sovereignty of God. And we're going to see some things that maybe we haven't really thought of before. But I can't encourage you enough to understand one simple truth. Our greatest realization of freedom comes only when your God is sovereignly supreme. When He is everything. When He and you understand that He controls all things. All things of our life. All circumstances. And it is, in fact, God's right to do all things. This is His creation, and we are living out His plan. You see, when the object of our faith is Christ in Christ alone, it changes our perspective on all crisis and all circumstances. When we know that even in the greatest test of life, that this God is in fact working all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I think one of the greatest illustrations of the sovereignty of God comes to us in Jeremiah 1, right in verse 5. He says, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Listen to those words. Listen to what he's saying to Jeremiah. Before he even formed him in the womb, he knew him. He had an intimate relationship with who he is and who he would become. And not only that, he consecrated him. This this term means to divinely purpose. And of course, in Jeremiah's case, he was appointed to be a prophet to the nations. Today, I'm going to ask you to examine yourself to determine what is your divine purpose. And are you faithfully executing that purpose today? Life is filled with all kinds of distractions. And in these distractions, I want to encourage you that in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 14, it says this wisdom. It says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. God has made the one as well as the other. Right now, our life seems to be filled with constant crisis and an ever-moving agenda. I can't stomach the news. In fact, I haven't watched it in over seven years. And I can't imagine what it's like today for those of you that are being consumed by what's going on. It seems like the topic of end times or the doctrine of future events seems to be a common subject. People are texting and emailing me and saying, are these the signs that we're told of in Revelation? Is Jesus going to return soon? Man, I hope so. I can only long for that day when Christ comes. In fact, it's going to be our point one today. Point one is this. 
an imminent return. There is, in fact, an imminent return. Jesus Christ can return at any moment. In fact, I say to myself, I hope that you never even see this message because Jesus came back before you got to even see it. I pray that God would be here and here now. But today's message is going to challenge us when, in fact, our Savior is not here yet. What do we do? Our text today, to put it in context, we have to back up a little bit to chapter 24. You see the chapter divisions between Matthew 24 and 25 make for an artificial interruption and a change in the flow of the actual narrative of what Jesus is preaching. These chapter and verses are not inspired text. They were added around the 13th century when we started numbering so that we could all turn to a familiar place. There is, of course, no interruption or an interlude between the parable of the servants and the parable of the ten bridesmaids or the ten virgins. The two parables go hand in hand, emphasizing two aspects of one very key lesson. These parables fall in the middle of the Olivet Discourse, this discourse where Jesus is explaining his second coming. It is in this second coming that he tells us that the, how the Son of Man will return. And the parable is filled with wisdom and folly. Overall, the message is about being prepared for whenever Jesus comes. And we do not, of course, know the time or the place of when he will return. It will come unexpected. So in Matthew 24, verses 45 through 51, it says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has sent over his household, to give them their food and the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find uh, so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on that day when he does not expect him and, he, and at an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him in with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's such a contrast between uh, the servants here and it's intentionally extreme. In one case, we look at the faithful and wise servant, and we understand that the master's absence increases the responsibility of the servant. He needs to, in fact, work harder without any particular direction, but with a direction of understanding that the master will want to find him faithful. He's more conscientious as he has to give an account you see, as Christians, one day we will stand before the Lord and we will give an account of all that we've been entrusted. We heard Pastor Doug talk about that a couple weeks ago in the, in, the, in, the, in the parable of the talents. We will give an account on the return on investment that we get for our Lord, for our Master. And whether the Master returns early or late, He desires to be found patiently fulfilling His duties. 
And it's interesting that when the master comes back and finds this faithful servant, he promotes him to the highest position of authority. In fact, that's what we find as Christians. In 2 Timothy 2.12, it says, If we endure, we, also, we will also reign with him. And if we deny him, he also will deny us. I think sometimes we forget that, that in the new earth, we will reign with Jesus. You will participate in the judgment of the quick and the dead. You are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. In fact, we find also in Romans 8, 17 and 18, it says, and if we are children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this time right here, right now, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. But we see the evil servant in this text as well. And with the absence of the master, there becomes lure and enticement of his own self-desires. He begins to attack others. It's interesting in Christian faith that Jesus himself did not come to this world to condemn it, but to save it. But somehow, sometimes we think that it's our responsibility to condemn it. It is not. It is our place to reveal and show the beauty and the loveliness of our master. You see in the evil servant, he seeks self-pleasure and debauchery. He thinks that a party life is great. But see, when the master returns, he warns him that he will be cut to pieces and he'll be placed in that place with weeping and gnashing of teeth. So let me ask you a question. The question is this, when will Jesus return? And I know we said that it's an imminent return. So he could return at any time. But seriously, if you were to consider, do you believe that Jesus Christ will return, say, within five years? Within 10 years? Do you believe that he'll return within your lifetime? Maybe it's something else. But let me challenge you with that. That as we start to wonder when Jesus is going to return, I would have to say to myself, if I'm being honest, that I think Jesus is going to return soon, like now, like within the next year or the next five minutes. But what if he doesn't? What if his return is delayed? Not because of something getting in the way of God's plan, that's not possible, but what if, what if Jesus isn't coming back for another thousand years? Another 10,000 years. In your lifetime, how will you be found? It's our point too, a delayed return. You see, in the parable that is our subject today, the parable of the 10 virgins, we're going to see something that is opposite of what we just read, or at least antithetical we start to realize that in the first parable that he gave, he talks about this imminent return and that we have to be ready and be ready and be ready. 
But it seems like he's going to turn that on his head in this parable. In Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, he says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. They all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. For our oil, our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Remember, it's midnight. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the, Lord, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Man, it seems like I'm excited that he's going to return today, but I have to be prepared for him to return when he does. You see, the parable of the two servants makes the point that we must not assume that Christ will delay his coming, but we are to be ready for him to return at any moment. The parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids follows immediately after and simply reverses that point. You see, being ready for him to return at any time also means we must not be caught off guard if he is, in fact, to delay. You know, throughout church history is full of stories about date setters um, and their kind of cultic thinking that they had figured out a specific time frame for the second coming. I have people who come to my door oftentimes and talk about the infallible and errant word of God and I point in their literature where on 17 to 18 occasions there's been a prediction of a date and a time of the second coming of Jesus and it's been wrong every single time. How could it possibly be the infallible and errant word of God? I've seen people preparing for the second coming who've quit their jobs, they've sold off their assets. They've moved to a mountaintop or a desert somewhere to await the sounding of the last trumpet. And given our current world we live in, there's many self-styled prophets and amateur numerologists that are out there even today predicting that Christ is near. Like those in the past, they will be wrong. In fact, one of the main themes of Jesus' Olivet Discourse, this discourse of his second coming, is this main point. Jesus forbids that kind of presumption. He 
He forbids us to even think that we have the ability to predict the date and the time of when he will return. He, in fact, doesn't want you to know. He, in fact, wants to discover you faithful. You see, even though Romans 13, 11 says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from a sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. It's true. We're closer to the second coming of Christ than even that which when Paul wrote that was. But it doesn't guarantee that it'll be here tomorrow. And will it change my motivation? Will it change what I'm doing if he comes tomorrow, if he comes a thousand years from now? 1 Peter 4, 7 says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. You see, nothing stands in the way of the Lord's return. We must be ready to be found faithful, faithful to his calling, faithful to his mission, faithful to his kingdom. You know, the cultural background of understanding these ancient Near East uh, weddings, first of all, we would understand that the parents arranged the marriages with the consent of the bride and the bridegroom. The couple passed an engagement period of many months in which it would become clear, hopefully, that the bride was pure in her virtue. And on the day of the wedding, the bridegroom would go to the bride's house to claim his bride from her parents. His friends would, in fact, accompany him. The marriage ceremony would take place at the bride's home. And on the evening of the day of the wedding, the bridegroom would take his bride home. This, of course, involved a nighttime procession through the streets. Most marriages in Jesus' day took place at night. The bride and the bridegroom would consummate their marriage at the bridegroom's home the night of the wedding ceremony. And then there would be a banquet that would often last as long as seven days. And this often took place at the bridegroom's home. The characters in this are simple. The bridegroom, of course, represents Jesus. The ten virgins were really ten close friends of the couple. Their virtue is not really a factor in this parable. It simply denotes that they were young and they were non-married women. But the midnight cry in verse 6 is often the time of judgment in Scripture. When Jesus returns... When Jesus comes back, it will be a time of judgment. It's a frightening event. It's a crisis. When we start to compare the two groups of the women, they're, they're a lot alike in that both groups of women, all ten women were invited to the banquet. Each woman had responded to the wedding invitation. They all clearly had affection and love for the bridegroom. And all ten women fell asleep while waiting for the bridegroom. It seems that there's no difference between any of these women. But there's a difference in that the one group was prepared and the other group was not. The shock value in this parable is that when the five foolish bridesmaids finally do arrive and discover that they are forever excluded from the celebration... 
In other words, a day is coming when there will be no more second chances to get our lives right spiritually. The wise women planned for the possible delay of the bridegroom by taking extra oil for their lamps so that they'd be faithfully ready whenever he arrived. The foolish women wanted to attend the banquet, but they missed it because they were simply not prepared. It's on this point that this entire story turns. There are people within the church who have heard the invitation of Christ. They've responded even somewhat. They may even be said to have affection for Jesus but yet they're not ready to meet him. The contrast between the two groups of women reveals itself in crisis. Jesus' return will have the same effect. It will be crisis when he returns. Christ is going to return and he's gonna disrupt your plans. Don't think like the world thinks. In my mind, it's Jesus, please, come. But you know, years of doing youth and college ministries, the things that I heard the most from, from young people was, I hope Jesus comes back, but I hope he comes back after I get married. Or maybe after I have kids. Or even some adults who say, until, don't come back until I've accomplished all my dreams. Or some who say, don't come back until I've fully spent my entire retirement. It's not about you. It's all about Christ. It's all about being found faithful and Christ is the object of our affection. The whole point of this is our point three, found faithful. We must be found faithful. If there's anything you take away in this sermon, I hope that it's being found faithful. You see, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a transferable asset. You kids that are watching this with your parents, you are not saved because your parents believe in Jesus. You have to be faithful on your own. You have to take the gift of God's faith and respond to him in faithful obedience to live your life for him. Oh, how many people come to me for counseling and say, I've been a Christian my whole life. You have not been a Christian your whole life. You were born a sinner. You were conceived in sin. And you need a savior. You need the master. And he needs to find you faithful. You see, just like the ladies, just because the invitation was made out to your entire family, you attended parts of the ceremony, you must have your own faith. The only way you can enter the celebration is if you're found faithful. Verse 12 has an eerie sound to it. 
He says, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. It sounds an awful lot like Matthew 7, 23, when he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Man, that frightens me. That scares me to the depth of my being. Because I spend my life saying I know Jesus and the question is really, does Jesus know you? The point of this parable is simple. Christ the bridegroom is coming. He may arrive later than maybe what you expected. And we must be prepared for that possibility. That means remaining awake. It means staying at watch and being faithful to his kingdom and not to this world. The Lord comes without warning. It says we do not know the day nor the hour in verse 13. As long as we remain alive, the possibilities exist for repentance, for restoration, for redemption. But brothers and sisters, one day, it will be too late. And that day could come sooner rather than later. Be found faithful. You see, the only time we can prepare for his return is in fact now. Because his sudden arrival will signal the end of all such opportunity. Those not ready for him when he arrives will be completely and permanently shut out of the wedding feast. You see, the call is simple. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, moreover, it is required of stewards, that's you and me, that they be found faithful. That's how we're supposed to be found. But nothing, nothing puts more fear in me than when I look at what faithfulness is. And when I read the author of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, verse 38, it says, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That should frighten you. If I shrink back, if I just wince a little bit, and he finds me in that moment, he finds no pleasure in me. Be found faithful to the master. These days, brothers and sisters, it's not about being faithful to your constitutional rights. It's not even about your political party. It's not about any worldly desire. It's about understanding one simple truth. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And I appointed you. He divinely purposed you. The New Testament equivalent of that would be Ephesians 2.10 where it says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
That word workmanship there is the word poema. You are, in fact, God's poem fulfilling that which he planned before the very foundation of the world and the manner in which you should walk. You should be asking yourself today, what is your divine purpose? What were you appointed to do? You see, it's about Christ and his kingdom. It's not about our circumstances or our current crisis. It's about his plan. It's about being found faithful like 1 Corinthians 4.2 said. We are to live missionally, to bring the gospel, the good news. For some of it, some of us, maybe you need to join the PTA. Maybe you need to join your homeowners association. Maybe you need to run for political office rather than complain about it. Maybe you need to bring the gospel to your neighbor next door. Maybe you need to be the person who is a light in a dark world, not another person with an opinion about the crisis. You see, throughout history, Christianity has always rushed to the crisis, not placed a social media hack on what's going on. Be found faithful to the cross, to the person of Jesus. If you knew Jesus would return this week or next week, what would you do? Would you still be posting complaints about what's going on in politics? Or would you actually finally stand up and tell people what you're for rather than what you're against? Stand up, rise up as a congregation, and share the gospel. Live the person of Jesus Christ. For you will never be set free until you realize the supreme sovereignty of our God. Maybe, just maybe, that's what God has appointed you to do. And maybe, that is in fact your divine purpose. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we worship and adore you. We come to you as your servants, praying, Lord, that you would find us and that you would find us faithful, that you would help us, Lord, to grow in your grace, that you would help us to grow into the knowledge of your Son, and that whether you return today or you return a thousand years from now, whether it's you take us home or you come to us, Lord, I pray that you would find us faithful, faithful to exalt your name, your word, your truth, your gospel, the good news, so that all the saints whom you knew before the foundation of the world would be called into your presence. It is in Christ's name that we pray, amen. Brothers and sisters, be ready, be faithful, for he can come today, but be prepared for him to come a thousand years from now, to set the church in a path that knows to be ready for the faithful and triumphant return of Jesus, where my prayer is that he finds you faithful. Father and our God, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your clarity. Lord, we are a people that are without excuse. 
And I pray that you find our hearts and our actions faithful to you, the Master. Lord Jesus, come. It is in his name we pray. Amen. 